And we're off. Hello, Patrick. <laughs> Hello, Father Brian. Good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, it's been too long. It has. Yes. Pretty much every day. I know. Do you get sick of me? Absolutely not. Okay, well, that's nice of you. To I say. get sick of not being around you. You're too kind. <laughs> I do want to do a quick shout out just because she was just here to Tamara Whitehouse. Oh, yeah. Principal at our North Campus. She's doing a wonderful job. Great principal. She's my favorite. I get so excited when she, it's always so like rare that someone from the school comes over to the rectory and like Slash the offices. offices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's always so excited. I saw her walking across the campus. I was like, yes. Yeah. No, she's kind of a big deal. Yeah. You know what else is a big deal? Here's my shout out. Who's that? Your mom. My mom is a big deal. She is. Yeah. Teresa Larkin. Okay. So this is news. Not not totally for you. You knew this part, but Steph is pregnant. Shout out Steph. Oh, Great have we job, announced Steph. that before? No, we have not. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So can it, I just tell you, Patrick thought I was going to blow that. <laughs> Cause if you, if you listen to our show, there was an episode where I talked about his baby bump, the bike ride. And baby he, lo- bump, and he yeah. looked at me and was, and was like, are you really going to tell her like everyone <laughs> right now I'm so about, nervous. Her, about the pregnancy? But he had just done a bike ride for pregnant women. that was called the baby bump. That's right. And he didn't know that, that was where I was going. And he was like, you're really going to tell everyone. I right thought we were, now. I thought we were outed right there. Uh, Which I, in your defense, <laughs> I would do something like that. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I did that at RCIA one night. I accidentally like That's totally right. outed you guys at RCIA. That's right. So it's been out there for a little bit, but your mom so generously gave us a St. Gerard um, novena to pray. Oh yeah. And it's been so cool. Steph and I are day two into it. And uh, I just want to thank her. It was so cute. She sent in the, I think she mailed it to the office. Did she give it to you? Because I showed no, up. No, she it, didn't give it to me. So I showed up. It was on my desk. So I assume like Morgan downstairs brought it up. Your mom mailed it in. Or she might have just dropped it by. Maybe she dropped it, yeah. but it was like addressed to the office. Mm-hmm. And Steph and I have been loving it. So we are just so pumped on it. So in my family, so if you don't know about St. Gerard, I don't know much about St. Gerard. I'm not like the saint expert. Right. But St. Gerard is the patron saint of pregnancies. Yep. And this comes from Grandma Jane. So my grandmother, my mom's mom, was like a living saint. And uh, we'll tell more stories about Grandma Jane sometime. But she, whenever anyone uh, in the family was pregnant, she would always get everybody praying to St. Gerard. And they would always do that novena. And there were a lot of pregnancies because my grandmother had 10 kids. My mom was the oldest of 10. I know. Is that crazy to think about? So cool. Yeah. I'm like, God bless Grandma Jane. I I have two brothers, and I'm like, man. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm an only child. So You're an I, only child. Steph's one of four, and I'm always like, man, how did you do it? And they're always like, are you normal? You're an only child. I'm like, I, no, I'm not normal, yeah. but I am an only child. Yeah, and, uh, you know, children are a blessing. I do, you know, I think I sometimes get a little jealous of big families, yeah. I do think, you know, sometimes I look at Catholic families and mom and dad are stressed out like crazy because they have eight kids running around, but it's beautiful, right? The gift of life is such a beautiful gift and God loves children and he loves life. And there's something cool about even the messiness, I think sometimes within reason. Uh, but, you know. Totally. It's like, I always say my family, it's like, it's a little bit like my big fat Greek wedding. Have you seen yeah. that? It's kind of like that. And I'm like, and if yeah. you watch that movie and you're like, there's the upper middle class, like wasp, non-practicing yep. family. And then there's the Greek family that's like, you know, everyone's in everyone's face. Totally. And like 
you know, you got the Windex, you know, that's, that fixes everything. And I'm like, which family would you rather be a part of? Right. I'm like, I'd rather be a part of the, the messy Greek family. Same. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, not where we're going today, yeah. but I would love to give a shout out. Um, I think it's so heavy. We're, yeah. we're recording this two days after the shootings in Boulder. And um, one of the, all of the victims, shout out to every, I mean, it's just such a sad scenario. And I, I would love to eventually pick your brain on that. I think we got to do it justice and let some of the facts come out. I think it'd be too easy to jump into assumptions. Um, yeah, people do that. You know, we live in that soundbite world. That's and right. Patrick and I were talking about, you know, everybody wants to say something immediately instead of saying something that's kind of intelligent or at least profound and like letting the dust settle a little bit. But, but yeah. we do want to send prayers out. I mean, for Officer Tally. Yeah who is apparently a very devout Catholic man here in Denver. Yeah. And you know, he had seven children talking about big families. That's what you made me think yeah, of it. I, uh, I thought of it too. And I said that, yeah. man, it's, it's really heavy. And what's crazy. I think it, it really shook me when it happened. Cause two weeks ago, I, I just told you this, but two weeks ago, I was in that parking lot at that time. Yeah. And to think literally at that exact time, my bike seat broke, there's a bike shop over there. I had to drive to Boulder to get a looked at yeah. and, and watching this. I mean, my first apartment in college was directly across. When you see any of the footage of that film, you, you could see my apartment when you're kind of like bird's eye view of the yeah. shopping center and how much shopping. I mean, it's kind of the story everyone's kind of saying now from the Boulder community. And it's just so sad, so much to talk about. Um, but it's, yeah, prayers to everyone involved in that just absolutely horrific. Um, and you just feel for that family. I think his oldest was 20 and his youngest is seven, I, I believe six or seven, pretty young. I mean, yeah. if seven kids it's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna spread out, but yeah, huge prayers for them. Yeah. <clears throat> prayers for the family. That's uh, right. And for the families of all the victims. That's right. Uh, and we pray, you know, we pray for our country we pray that, uh, I think so much of, you know, obviously these shootings, we don't want to get into it too much. They're complex reasons behind, I think, why there are shootings. And I think we have to be careful not to just jump to quick conclusions about them. But I will say um, we have a cultural problem with the breakdown of the family, I think, is part of things. And I don't know anything about the, sh the shooter. Um, and so I don't, I'm not jumping to conclusion on that. But, but I will say I think that's part of the problem in, in general with a lot of the violence in our culture. The best predictor of a future healthy society is a healthy family. Right. And we have been fighting against the family in our country for a long time. Totally. And in the name of individual rights, which have individual rights have degraded into, I can do whatever the hell I want to do. And no one can tell me otherwise. And that's what we've defined a right as, which is a terrible idea. But in the name of that, we have destroyed the family. Yep. And, uh, and that has consequences. Right. And we pray that, I think our job as Catholics, I think so much of what we're trying to do at Lord's, we can't necessarily influence the national dialogue. I mean, I think certain Christians, you know, are called to that. Um, I think our job is to create a place where we support the family, where people honor the family, where marriages are, are built up. And uh, yeah, I could go on forever, but. I think it's funny. Uh, if you go to Lord, you'll understand um, compared to most churches, like we don't have a cry room here. Or, and a lot of people wish we did. <laughs> a lot of people wish we did, but I think, uh, I remember that was yeah. so fascinating, RCA, when I was going through that and, and understanding your philosophy of that, of like, we promote, you know, children, the family, all this kind of stuff. Like, again, going back to that 
my big fat Greek wedding of like, it's yeah. ugly. It can be, it, it could be fantastic all the above, but a kid crying in the pew, that's okay. That's yeah, it's going to happen. Like you can't, yeah. you can't silence the kid. So you're pretty, it's pretty awesome that, you know, I think it's rare. Uh, most people like get up and sprint and run out. They're all embarrassed and, and you kind of just roll with it. It's really awesome. Yeah. I mean, you can't have it both ways, right? You can't right. have a culture that promotes the family and life. And we love, we love children and then shame them when kids cry, kids cry. That's right. You know, and there's a balance, you know, some parents seem to like be okay with their kids crying through all mass. But I think for, I think the overwhelming majority, and if that's you, this is not to shame you. Um, it's going to be me. I, somebody's gonna You're be talking to me right someone's now. Someone's going to be that's listening. Right. They're going to be like, oh my gosh, Father Brian's totally talking about us. I am not talking we, about yeah. you, whoever you are. I'm going to sit front row and I'm going to let little Gianna just rip it. Just yes, go that's for the it. name of Patrick's baby. That's right. Her, little baby his, girl. His little daughter. Gianna, Claudia, uh, and still I'm going to let womb. her just cry everywhere. Still in the womb. Gianna um, Deveni. That's right. I almost forgot your last name. Well, that's okay. I was like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> but one more shout out that we should get to our topic. Yes. One more shout out I do want to give on that topic is two of our parishioners, we won't, we'll drop last names, but uh, J-Mart and Terry, yep. both kind of uh, older men who have both told me at different times that the sound of kids crying in our church is the most joyful thing they have ever heard in their lives. Yeah. And it gives them hope for the future. Totally. So, so if you're a parent out there and you're coming to mass, and you're like, Oh my gosh, everyone's judging us. You're actually giving hope to some of our parishioners who are like, no one's having kids anymore. No right. one's bringing their kids to mass and they come to Lord's and they're like, Oh wow. There is hope. No question. Yeah. So, um, Okay. So well, today, yeah. Today's big smoky. Uh, today we're gonna. Is that your foot under? That there? is. Yeah, you keep okay. touching my foot. Sorry, man. I'm like I'm trying. I thought I'm, <laughs> I lost one of my sandals, and I'm like, where the heck is my sandal? Uh, we're not. Gonna I wasn't anyway. gonna say anything. I'm just like sitting here. I'm like, yeah. Will you stop? Will you knock it off, man? I'm like, where's my <laughs> sandal? Yeah. Uh, that's all anyone's gonna remember from this podcast. They're gonna be like, what was this podcast about on Good Friday? <laughs> we're gonna title it. They played uh, footsie. Yeah. Oh yeah. gosh. Anyway, don't be jealous, Steph. But our uh, our topic today, we want to talk about: Did Jesus have faith? Yep. Especially, you know, we kind of started talking about it, but um, after last podcast and and really reflecting on this time of Easter and walking into Good Friday and obviously the Easter Mass, all that kind of stuff. The concept is really interesting question. Where I think. As a rookie, you automatically, like, of course he did. Like, what do you mean? How does he not? It's Jesus. But yeah. I think there's an interesting counter to that that you kind of dove into. But I guess that is the question of, like, <clears throat> through his 33 years, did he truly under, like, was there a concept of faith at that point Yeah, um, being sent from his father? Yeah. And this is a really fascinating question. We're only going to scratch the surface today because... Uh, we can't, there's, there's literally been, I can't even tell you how many thousands of pages of scholarly research done on this. Um, but we want to give you a little bit of idea. And we think today on Good Friday, uh, when this is coming out, that hopefully this will give you something to really think about, about who yeah. is Jesus and what does that word faith mean? And how does that affect you in your life? Um, so, Mr. Davini, yes. father to Jana. That's right. Uh, so my question for you, start questioning you more. Oh boy. So like, what do you think? Like when most people are, when you think of faith, like how do you, what do you think of when you think of the word faith? 
I think for me, oh, it's a deep question. Um, it is a deep question. I have deep questions. I, how do I answer this? I guess it would have to be for me, my own personal story, which we've kind of talked about before, but you know, life in the secular world beat me up so bad. Um, always trying to find the new high and the blah, 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 blah. Um, and trying to accomplish things outside of that, that I always kind of joke, but not joking of like life brought me on my knees crawling to faith. Right. And when I say that, I mean that from the perspective of, um, especially after my mom died, it felt like that my mom was like my crutch. And when she died um, and more than just a crutch, right? Like, I mean, she was like your, Oh, for, she was yeah. like my best friend, everything, your foundation. <clears throat> That's like, right. Yeah. And, and I think it's still an interesting topic, but as soon as she died and then, well, and even when I lost my identity in football, like first it started with football that got, that ended, then it kind of turned into like my life and my purpose became around my mom and then mom dies. And I was so beaten up and realizing like people come and go, things come and go. And the yeah. only standard in that is God, Jesus, yep. Holy spirit, and that ability to just kind of focus on that. And at the end of the day, like, Faith to me is a sense of hope, um, very surface level relationship. No, that's good. I like that, but it, but it is. So then that way, and it's the hardest thing ever, you know, I could say that and it's still on a daily grind of, you know, I don't need this. I, I trust God, you know, putting your, your faith and your hope in God and knowing that he'll provide. I think that's why I love Romans eight twenty eight so much. And just yeah. trying to understand the bigger picture of like, it's not up to me, it's in his hands. And, there's some sort of peace in that. What do you got to tell people again what Romans 8, 28 is? I'll let you recite it. So I don't know if I have it perfect too. Yeah. Um, um, all things work for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. That's right. Okay. So the story, my, one of my biggest mentors, coach Brian Cabral up at CU, um, big Hawaiian teddy bear. When I first met with him and I was so depressed and I hadn't seen him for probably eight years he walked away and he was like, look, I just want you to go home and read this verse. And when I read it, I was like, okay, that's cool. But like, as I started to really kind of dive into it and, and understanding like, yeah, I did, you know, I, I try to put into perspective, like I lost those things, but it led me to, you know, even today making <laughs> the announcement of like, here comes Gianna and yeah. Steph and her family and all the things worked out in a way that I would have never in a million years drew up myself, right. but God has a plan. And so understanding that side of faith and hope, um, is something to at least calm my anxieties in yeah. life. Yeah. No, that's good. I like that. And I, what Thanks, I like man. about, well, I like, what I like about the way you <laughs> yeah. said it, honestly, is it was a more full kind of like exposition of what faith is that faith is because I think a lot of people, they think faith means I believe Jesus is God. And, and that's just kind of it. Like, right. It, it's just this intellectual thing. Like, yeah, I think it's true. And that's kind of, and I think it's easy for us to say, what do you believe? What do you believe? Well, I believe that, you know, the sun goes around the earth, you know, right. I believe Jesus is God and it's easy to reduce faith to that kind of a assertion. Yep. Um, that's not what the new Testament means though. And that's what I like about what you said is like the new Testament idea of faith and a faith that saves us because faith does save us. And I think Catholics, you know, 
most Catholics, I think, we're used to answering this question polemically with Protestants. And so when, when someone says, do you have faith? We're immediately like, yeah, but I have works and I do good things and totally. I love the poor and I obey God's commandments and that's all good. But honestly, like in the new Testament, the word faith can actually incorporate all those things into that one word. Interesting. I didn't yeah. realize that. Yeah, it absolutely can. And so, um, so the interesting question though today that we want to talk about and, and faith, I mean, it's always hard to give a, a good definition of faith. Um, the catechism will talk about faith as a response. I, I think my favorite word for faith is surrender. Oh. because it kind of, it kind of is like, it's a, it's a surrender. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm not just going to believe something's true, but actually I'm, I'm giving myself away. Totally. And so the catechism will talk about how God's action always goes first. And because God has surrendered himself to us, that on a human level, our faith is a response. Um, it's, it's not just like, oh, yeah, hey, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. A lot of people will quote Romans 10, 9, which is the, um, that's that famous verse that, you know, a lot of Protestant Christians, and we believe, we believe in Scripture, like, but uh, Romans 10, 9, you know, if you, um, uh, I'm going to get this wrong, but it's, if you believe in your heart and confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and that the Father raised him from the dead, um, uh, you will be saved. Right. So Romans 10, 9. And so it's just, it sounds there just like, if you believe this happened, like you're going to go to heaven. The problem is the New Testament uses the word faith in lots of different ways. And there is a sense in which there is a like, that's part of it, but it's much more than that. Um, and so I would define faith. Faith is a surrendering of your whole life. It is a, um, it's a way of being in the world. Paul will use the word faith and the Greek word. Do you remember the Greek word? Oh, no. Oh. It's no, okay. no. So the, the Greek word is pistis. Pistis, dang it. Pistis. Yeah. And <clears throat> pistis can mean faithfulness in Greek or faith, either way. It can be translated in the New Testament either way. And the only way that you can tell is by the context. Um, and so today we want to just talk briefly about, does Jesus have faith? And the, and the one background of this, I think, for you out there that is really critical, and I think this is great to just think about, so for most Catholics, a lot, of, uh, a lot of Catholics out there, they follow St. Thomas Aquinas on this. And St. Thomas Aquinas says, the answer is no. So interesting. Yeah. And isn't that fascinating? Yeah. And there's last week, I think it was last week, I taught a class at the seminary. Um, yep. And so the seminary, if you don't know what a seminary is, it's not a cemetery. <laughs> the seminary is a place where we, it's a priest factory. Right, it's where we produce priests. Yep. No, it's, it's a school that you go to to study for priesthood. Um, but in there's this so this professor at the seminary is really intelligent, and he's he follows Saint Thomas Aquinas on this. And so what he teaches guys in the seminary, and again have a lot of respect for him, all the right caveats. He's a very intelligent guy, but he says Jesus did not have faith. And the reason for this, how, is, yeah, how can that be? So it depends on how you define faith. Is really what it comes down to. Okay. And so what happens is, and this is why I'm like, I'm so convicted though. Like, and it's, it's hard ever on like a Catholic show to like, St. Thomas Aquinas is kind of like, you don't say anything That's right. negative about him. You better watch yourself. I know, right? <laughs> I think you better check yourself. That's right. Yeah. Um, but I do think with Aquinas, an important thing for us is Aquinas is not divine revelation. Right. He's someone we respect. He's incredible. He's one of the most intelligent men who ever lived. 
but he's not revelation. He's not, this is not how God revealed his, you know, saving message to the world and his saving actions. He did that through scripture and tradition and in the life of Christ himself. Yep. Um, and so we need to be so grounded in scripture. But anyway, what happens is St. Thomas basically uses a Greek idea of faith. Now he's going to, he's going to quote uh, Hebrews 11. One is a justification that faith is the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of things hoped for. But like, here's what Balthazar says about it. When about Aquinas or yeah, about he's faith? commenting on Aquinas oh. talking about faith. Oh, the modern day debate. What do you mean? The modern day I'm debate? Just like Balthazar versus yeah, Aquinas. Yeah, that's right. No, I mean, for those of you who don't know Balthazar, Balthazar knows Aquinas better than almost any thinker in the world today. I mean, <clears throat> I'm just going to say that he just does. And he doesn't, he doesn't um, dislike Aquinas. Balthazar has a great love for Aquinas, but Aquinas is not the new Testament. Yeah. He's not. Um, he's, he sums up a lot of things, but that's a whole nother discussion. But, um, he says that, uh, these three objections are raised by Thomas, which means St. Thomas Aquinas. And he refutes them from one simple principle that the object of faith is the divine itself, which we, you and I, not Jesus, but you and I don't see yet. So what Aquinas is saying is that faith, what it's about is that you and I can't see the divine. We can't see God. We don't have the beatific vision is sometimes what theologians call it, but Jesus does. And so he says, but Christ has seen God according to his essence from the very first moment of his conception. And thus he cannot really have faith in the exact sense of the term. And, uh, Balthazar points out that even Augustine talks like this, but here's a problem. Like if you define faith that way, then Thomas is absolutely right. If right. faith, if faith is about the vision of God, of the father. And if, if you've seen him, then you, it's a different meaning. Yeah. If, right? if G- like, Jesus has never lacked the vision of the father. Got it. And so if you define faith as the absence of the vision of God, so you have to have this like kind of trust in this, in, in God's kind of existence and his kind of glory, um, then Thomas is right. Um, and so Balthazar goes on later on in this essay. He says, if one simply juxtaposes the platonic, this is a little technical language, um, Aristotelian concept of intuitive or conceptual vision. So this vision of God, if you contrast that with the new Testament concept of faith, then of course, Thomas is absolutely right. One cannot at the same time see and believe something, right? I, I don't believe, um, that you're in this room. I know you're in this room. Right. Okay. Cause I can see you. That's yep. kind of what Thomas is getting at. Like you and I have to have faith because we have not yet seen God. Yeah. We haven't seen his salvation. Jesus has. So I don't have to believe that you're here. I know you're here. Got it. Jesus had to believe in God because he knows God is real. That's what Thomas is getting at. Um, faith by definition is an assent to something that's true based on what an authority says rather than what the evidence of one sense is a test. So, but here's a problem. And so with, with this priest, the seminary teaches this or people who are Thomas, here's a problem. The new Testament says Jesus does have faith. Ooh. That's the problem. Cause on the surface, and as I'm trying to wrap my head around whatever that was, you just read, uh, <laughs> <That was laughs> but great. I think, I think in the argument itself though, like it, it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't have faith that two and two is four. I know two and two is correct. There's something like that that Thomas is getting at. Yeah. And so he's saying like Jesus can't have faith because of that. 
But here's the problem in the New Testament. So if you're watching on YouTubes, the YouTubes, right. some people call them. So this is um, one book that's really helpful here. Don't read it. This is this is one of the most difficult books I've ever read in my life. So I don't, <laughs> I don't recommend this. But this is a very important book in New Testament scholarship, and it's called The Faith of Jesus Christ. And there's a bunch of other books out there, but this one's really good on this topic. Um, here's the problem: is that the New Testament talks about Jesus's faith. Um, and, and one of the problems you run into here is that there's a lot of translation issues. And so oftentimes, so when you're, if you're reading, especially in Romans or in Galatians, there's a lot of times in there where we'll talk about faith in Jesus Christ. And without getting too technical with this, the new Testament doesn't say that. Interesting. What it actually says, and that's what this book is about, is about, why the modern world tends to translate it that way. And by the way, the, the majority of scripture scholars are really coming to a place where like, yep, it just doesn't say that. What the New Testament, but it, so when it says like, like for instance, in Galatians 2.20, is always one of my favorites here. So let's look at that really quick. Um, and Galatians 2.20 is one example of this. Um, so what happens is it says, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh. So my life, I live in the flesh here in the world. It says, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. But that's not what the Greek says. One of these things again. Yeah, it says it's, I know. Then this is tricky, but it says, I live by uh, the life. I now live in the flesh. The Greek says, um, I live ek pisteos, which means, or pisteos, which means out of or from the faith of Jesus Christ. And there's a whole bunch of times in Romans one and Romans three and four and Galatians three and four and Galatians two, that, that Paul doesn't say that we have, that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. It says, dia pasteus Jesu Christu, which in the Greek literally means through the faith or faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And so Paul, and this is so cool, and I, hopefully I can bring this together for everybody here, is that Paul is making a simple distinction. And the emphasis is not that I'm saved by my faith in Jesus. I'm saved by Jesus's faithfulness. That's what saves me. It's not my act of faith. Now that matters. Paul's going to say that as well. But, but we'll bring this together in just a second. And one more key piece I'll throw it to you is that pistis, the word for faith in Greek, can equally be translated either faith or faithfulness. And the only way you can tell the difference is by the context. And so that, that word equally can mean faith or faithfulness. Man, because if, if Jesus, as I'm thinking of like, thinking of the New Testament, like if Jesus is living a life where he's just like, oh yeah, I know God exists. Like, yeah. like from that standpoint, right? then wouldn't it, okay, so there's no such thing as stupid questions. So I'm going to ask it. Uh, <laughs> wouldn't it, wouldn't it kind of make it more of like when he is suffering or when he is in the garden or any of that kind of stuff, more of a show than it is a true suffering. Like it, it right. would, kind of, to me, it would kind of call into jeopardy a lot of what he went through and more being like, all right, I'm going to go down there. I'm going to be there for 33 years. I'm going to be crucified and come back. Like, I know you're real. I'm going to do this. Yeah. But if you're, 
instead, like if that's, if that's the perspective you have, it just kind of like, to me, it kind of throws a wrench into a lot of the life that he did live. Well, does it, that make sense? It totally does. And I think, and I, but I do think this comes back to that definition of what does the word faith mean? Right. Okay. Does it, and does it mean an intellectual knowledge? Which that's part of what faith is. Faith, faith does give knowledge. Like Thomas is not wrong about that. Um, but it's more than that. In the, in, in, in the Bible, faith means faithfulness. It means a surrender. It means, it means I don't just know something. It means that I am surrendering myself to something. Gosh, and I feel like we always joke about this, but ever since I started working here, uh, we're Catholics tend to throw out like truth, beauty, and goodness. And yeah. I'm always like, oh, Here's what does that fit. mean? Aren't you going like, to get this tattooed across your that's, chest? Yeah, I need yeah. to, right? Across my yeah. back. Um, but I also kind of feel like going, especially I noticed it, again, shout out to Teresa, but uh, in the novena, like, and in prayers all the time, like faith is, it's everywhere. But it is one of those words of like, if, I bet if you did a survey of a lot of Catholics, yeah. that meaning is all over the, everyone has more, it's you right. know, subjective versus objective type of a meaning to it. Yeah. That, but again, you when you're looking at what to keep going, oh. keep going. Um, that when you look at it, like in prayers or anything in scripture, like it's, you just kind of like glance over you. Like it's that keyword, but same with truth, beauty and goodness. Like, what does that even mean? You yeah. really need to break that down. Yeah, you do. And like, and I think, um, but th this really is a critical thing, right? Is like faith is a knowledge. There is a knowledge of like, my, this, and we could get it. I don't want to get too deeply into the, the dogmatic kind of understanding of this. And it, which is beautiful by the way, that God's it's like faith is a light within us. Balthazar has a chapter where he's, he literally in one of his Balthazar's bigger works in glory of the Lord, volume one, he just goes through St. Thomas's treatment of faith. And it's, I mean, it is gorgeous. And Balthazar agrees. He's like, yep, this is right. Like, but with the added nuance, the new Testament doesn't use the word in quite the same way that Aquinas understands it. They're related, but they're not, they're not the same. And so, um, faith does confer knowledge. There's, there's a light is the way that, so, um, we'll, we'll talk about the light of faith and what they see it as is like, you can't see something without light. Your eye only works with light yeah. and faith is a kind of light where it enables us to see something and someone and the truth about someone, the truth of Jesus and his identity and his faithfulness and all these things. But it also means a faithfulness. And if you understand the, the word in that sense, and Paul's question in the New Testament, this is why it's so important that we stay rooted in the New Testament. The, the, the letters to the Galatians and the Romans, what Luther thought they were about is how do I get saved? And if we had more time, it'd be fun like someday to do like a, a Bible study on Romans or Galatians. Yes. But that's not Paul's question. Paul's question is not about, you know, how do I go to heaven? Paul's, that's Luther's question. Paul's question is, is God faithful or not? And that's the context of both Galatians and Romans. And scripture scholars, if, if you understand the context, it changes the way you read Romans. Right. And all of a sudden things that don't make sense, they start coming together and same with Galatians. What, one more, let me give you one more instance of this. And then we might switch a little bit to how do we, how does this affect my life of faith? Yeah. Um, but again, in Galatians, just another quote, just a little bit earlier in Galatians 2. Um, so this is Galatians 2.16. So uh, Paul speaking here, and this is in the context of him actually rebuking Peter in Antioch when, and I don't want to get too deep into it, Peter 
uh, is eating with Gentiles and then he um, separates himself when some Jews from Jerusalem show up and he, he kind of gets nervous and he separates from these non-Jews and eats only with Jewish people. But anyway, so Paul says to him, uh, verse 15, we ourselves who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a man is not justified by works of the law. Now, what law does he mean there? Do you know? Uh, Jewish law. That's right. Very good. Thanks. A problem. One of the problems we get with a lot of Christians is people hear, oh, see right there, Catholics, you're not justified by works of the law. Well, Paul isn't talking about like loving the poor or helping people out or obeying the Ten Commandments. The law means the things that Jews have that Gentiles don't. And the context gives this away. The reason that Paul is rebuking Peter in Antioch is because Peter stopped eating with Gentiles who don't follow kosher law. Right. And so kosher law separates Jew from Gentile. And so Paul's not rebuking Peter because he's keeping the Ten Commandments. He's rebuking him because he's acting like Jews and Gentiles don't belong together. Mm. But anyway, okay, we believe that a man is justified, is not justified by works of the law, by like kosher law, for instance. But, and my translation says, through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, but the Greek doesn't say that. The Greek says, dia pisteos Jesu Christu, which means through the, we are not saved by the works of the law. We're not saved. I'm not saved because I kept kosher law, but I'm saved by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Um, in order to be justified by faith, and here's where it does say faith in Christ. It says, in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, shall no flesh be justified. So Paul's contrast here, what Protestants and most Catholics too, what they think that Paul's contrasting is faith versus works. Yep. That's not what he's contrasting. Gosh. What he's contrasting there is Jewish like kosher law and the things that, that separated a Jew from a Gentile. Circumcision. All that could, yeah. And that's why circumcision plays such a big role in Paul's letters. In Romans and Galatians and Colossians, there's this big deal in Acts of the Apostles, which wasn't written by Paul, that's by Luke. There's this big thing about circumcision. And like, Paul makes this huge deal out of it. And circumcision isn't a moral law. You know, we don't, we don't go to him and be like, totally. dude, you got circumcised? Please don't ever ask me that. <laughs> that is so immoral. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. I always tell Father Mike, I can never remember the Greek word for circumcision, but I can remember the word for uncircumcision. I don't know why that is, but the word for uncircumcision in Greek is acrobustia. Nice. Um, so anyway, let's bring it back in a little bit because we're getting out there a little bit. But here's my point. So did Jesus have faith? Yes, he did. And this is what Paul's talking about. He says, we are saved dia pisteos Jesu Christu. Through the faith or faithfulness of Jesus Christ. That's what the Greek says. And this is not one passage or two passages. This is a whole bunch of passages. Um, so pause. Is this making sense? It, it, no, it, it I, several things come to mind right now. I think one, uh, I didn't realize this. Um, and I felt like, cause I was coming into faith. <laughs> it was always kind of like the common question or you get the, some Bible app and it's like, Oh, which translation do you want? Right. Yeah. RSV and it, blah, 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 blah. Um, but realizing though, is you kind of like, 
it kind of feels like it's just they start to get further and further and further away from the translation. Like you read like the old, like I pulled right. up my grandma's like King's James a while ago. I could not read that to save my life. It was just so like Shakespearean. But I feel like as noticing now the difference, you know, I, I have never tried, attempted, or would know how to read the Greek. Right. But if you don't understand that, you you lose all context. Yep. And it becomes very easy to spin it the way and, you want to hear it. And that there is an application here, right? Like these, like the questions that modern Catholics and Protestants are asking, they're not unrelated, but they're just a little different from what Paul is asking. That's right. And, and so Paul is not saying like, hey, once you follow Jesus, it matters how you behave. N.T. Wright, if you, if you ever go to Lourdes, you've heard me refer to him. N.T. Wright, not a Catholic, top scripture scholar in the world, you know, I don't know how you judge that. You know, they're yeah. like, they have like some committee and they're like, Ooh, 9.7 for Richard Hayes. Totally. James Dunn gets a 9.6, you know, they have like an internal jeopardy game they play. Yeah. And Morna hooker, she gets, you know, a, a 9.4. Yeah. Um, all those are amazing scripture scholars, but anyway, but he's, he's among the top. He's an amazing scholar. And one of the questions he says, and he's not a Catholic when he talks to, to Christians all over the world. And in one of his books, he says, does Jesus's, obedience make ours irrelevant. Ooh. And I love the way he phrases that. Yeah. And cause it's, that's going back to his faithfulness. Right. And so this is where the word faith pistis is not like, if you actually understand the Greek, it just, it explodes the whole Protestant reformation because the word faith doesn't just mean intellectual. I believe it's true. Faith means I have somehow surrendered myself to this Messiah, to the son of God through and his faithfulness. So yeah. So here's the yes. And through his faithfulness. So what, what this means, and this is where I wanted to end up today. And I love this. This helps me so much. And I think this, this can help bring Catholics and Protestants together is what Paul says in Romans one. So in Romans one 17, now this is a little dense, but work through it slowly, break it down. So in Romans one 17, and we, we probably should read chapter or verse 16 for context. So verse 16, St. Paul says this, he says, uh, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now notice there really quick, Paul is going to talk about how this is, he, I mean, he's emphasizing everyone. And remember we were saying earlier that when Paul contrasts faith and works of the law, yep. That doesn't mean doing good things. It means what separates Jews from non-Jews. And here Paul is doing the same thing. In Romans, if you're a Protestant, and if you follow Luther, Romans is supposed to be about how I get to heaven and how I can't earn my salvation. But, but it, you have a hard time understanding why is he talking about Jews and Greeks? Totally. And the reason he's talking about those is because the, re, the way that we are now saved is not by doing kosher law, and like following the things that separated Jewish people from Gentiles, non-Jews, but it's by the faithfulness of God in Christ Jesus. And so that's why he's saying Jews and Greeks. This is, it is the power of salvation to everyone, the Jew and the Greek. Um, and then verse 17, for in it, meaning the gospel, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And here's the key line that I wanted to get to. Through faith for faith. As it is written, he who is, who through faith is righteous shall live. And if we had, I would love to do this, that one paragraph, 
We could do a week-long Bible study on. Let me break it down really quick there. Paul is quoting Habakkuk 2.4. Your favorite prophet. I thought so. I was just thinking that. (laughs) I know sometimes I say Habakkuk and people are like, Habba what? That's right. Sorry, what? (laughs) Excuse you? Is that Greek? Yeah. But um, it can get really technical, so I won't go too deep into this. But what it means, here's what it basically means. So so Paul says, um, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. Um, Is it through or from? Um, Through faith. Through faith for faith. Um, And here's what that really means is that Jesus is, and this is what the, the, we get back to our question, did Jesus have faith? Yes, he did. If you understand it in the gospel and in, in the New Testament sense, Jesus absolutely had faith because he was faithful. And so what happens is that what Romans one seventeen is saying, through faith for faith, is it because God is faithful first, I am saved through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. That means that I can now be faithful. Through faith, for faith. So Jesus' faithfulness leads to my faithfulness. Allowed us to have faith. Exactly. So think of it this way. One story I tell about this sometimes. Today is the Teresa Lurkin day. That's right. Story about my mom. Every day should be that day. Every day should be that day. (laughs) Love you, mom. When I was, if you go to Lourdes, I've preached on this before. There's a great story. When I was a little kid, I carpooled with these two other kids for baseball practice. And one day, do you remember this story? Yeah. It's a great story. Like, yeah. So we would, they were, the moms would rotate who was picking up. And <clears throat> what happened was our idiot coach, actually, I love him, Mike McDermott. Man, he was, he was a great baseball coach. But anyway, we, were, we uh, finished practice, and he, none of the moms showed up. And somehow he left without like, checking, like, hey, do you guys have someone coming to pick you up? You know? It was before I have self-fans. faith you'll be picked up. <laughs> yeah. No, that's kind of where this I is going. I don't see it, but it will yeah. be there. Yeah. That's where this is going is, is precisely this. But so we were these three little kids. And I don't know, I was like 10 years old or something. And we're waiting and no moms show up. Waiting some longer and no mom shows up. And eventually, like the other two kids, uh, Scott and Joey, pick on them a little bit. They started to kind of freak out. And sun's going down, no mom. We're in a neighborhood. We don't know where the heck we're at. And so uh, eventually we went to a house and called um, one of the moms, I think. But what was so cool is I didn't freak out because I knew that my mom was faithful. She had always been faithful to me. And I, and I knew that she would show up. Oh, And she did. And so it, the, this is very similar to what Paul is saying in Romans 1, is that God's faithfulness goes first. We are saved not by, I'm not saved by my faith, first, at least primarily. I'm saved by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And because he's faithful, I know he's going to show up. Just like I know my mom's going to show up. So Jesus is, and when Paul refers to Jesus' faithfulness or God's faithfulness, it's usually a shorthand way of him referring to the cross. And then on the cross, God showed he's faithful. He went to the very end point that he is always faithful. Yeah. And so because I know my mom's going to show up to pick me up from practice, I know she's faithful. She always has been. I can behave differently. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to freak out. And I can live faithfully in this, in, you know, waiting for her to show up. And similarly in our faith, so my faith does save me, but only secondarily. Right? And that word faith doesn't just mean I believe something's true. It means 
I can live differently because I know Jesus Christ is faithful. His faithfulness saves me. And because I know his faithfulness saves me, that enables me to have faith. And so Romans 117, right? Um, for in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Isn't that awesome? So cool. Okay. So my question would be last night, Steph made me watch. Uh, have you ever seen Hoosiers? I love them. Do you? So does she. I, Seriously? Yeah, it was okay. Dude, that is, no, that is like, that's better than Rudy. That is there's the best, no way. Oh yeah, that's the best sports movie ever made. Oh, Gene Hackman. Oh, that's a classic. That's the worst. Anyways. When Jimmy <laughs> wins the Nationals. Oh my gosh. That is like so good. You yeah. and Steph are going to, yeah, you're going to hit it. Oh gosh. Uh, she was the same way. It yeah. was odd. She like freaked out. I was like, are you okay? She's like, oh yeah, who's your son? I was like, what? Um, but. How, so how does that play into though? Like in that movie, I remember it kind of, I, I kind of thought about it when, um, when they're first introducing Gene Hackman yeah. as like the coach and he's, I think they're in like the barber shop or wh whatever they're at. And everybody's talking about like, this isn't going to work. Well, and they're like, these are expectations and oh, know, they the, use that to in like the very call. beginning yeah. and that thing. And they're yeah. like, uh, you know, you got to get that Jimmy back and we don't have any chance if he doesn't that's right. up. Yeah. That thing. And at one point, one guy walks up and he's like, Hey, we trust that you're a God fearing man mm. and that you're blah, 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 blah. But that part kind of landed for me for a second. When you're saying from the act of through God's, through Jesus's faithfulness, yep. that's a big piece. But you, I've also come across a lot of priests and Protestants and whatever that say like, you know, we're pretty much all doomed. A large majority of people are doomed for hell unless, and there's like a slim percentage, that yeah. whole debate of like who goes to heaven, who doesn't. So how does this so you get... you can ask that question at the yeah, end Yeah, I mean, podcast. so anyways, all right, have a good weekend, guys. <laughs> yeah. We'll see you later. Like, the biggest, <laughs> like one of the biggest questions in No, all but I here. think like when you hear that, if you have that understanding and if, yeah. you know, maybe say you're not a Thomas or whatever it might be, how can you have that perspective it seems out of order and you're focusing more on yeah your own faithfulness to get so, to heaven and in, in in fairness to aquinas so uh, saint thomas would agree with this like saint thomas he's not treating the word faith the exact same way but a, a, a great word here is participation is that jesus's death on the cross is what merits salvation for the human race and what what happens with us as Christians and all, I love this topic. It's so beautiful. What happens is through the sacraments and through faith, hope, and love that you and I are mystically drawn to participate in Jesus. Totally. And honestly, this is Paul's point in Galatians three. He's and without getting too deep into it, he's going to talk about this error, right? When you think of the, like the error parent, this error that God promised salvation would come through Paul is going to say in Galatians 3 that that, that error, it's a singular error. It's not plural. And that's what, that's what Genesis 15 is going to talk about in Genesis 22. Uh, but there's this error of the promise. And Paul says that that error is Christ. He's the one that what the promise was all about from the beginning all the way back in Genesis 15. And so the error is Christ himself. And what he says, but he says, but if you've been baptized and if you have faith, you are brought into Christ. You participate in him. And so therefore you are that heir. 
If you are in Christ, you share in his act of redemption. And so what Thomas wants to say is that Jesus's act of faithfulness, and he wouldn't say it that way because he's not using the, the really the Jewish understanding of the word, but Jesus's act of faithfulness, I am drawn into that. And so faith can't mean, and this, in my mind, this just blows up all of our questions about like, right about what salvation is and is it faith or works? Because guess what? The word faith contains works. It means being conformed to Jesus Christ, which means you live a different life. It means that you have surrendered yourself to God, the father, and that you're conformed to his act of surrender on the cross. That's what faith is, which is a work. Yeah. And it's, it's this whole thing. And it, and it also explodes. Protestants are always worried about, can you earn your salvation? But it explodes that too. Of course you can't. Of course you can't earn your salvation. We are by the gracious for faith from faith, for faith, Romans one seventeen. The only reason that can happen is because Jesus died on the cross and his mystical act of redemption as the redeemer of the world. And through the gift of baptism and faith, hope and love we're drawn into and conform to his redemptive act. Gosh. I don't know if that asked what you were, it's 100%. What you were asking. But. And then it, then it's on us to surrender to it. Yeah. And so, and so, and so Paul's going to talk about this all over the place, but like if first Corinthians has a lot to do with this, <clears throat> one of the questions of first Corinthians is, well, does that, well, Jesus redeemed me. So can I, I'm good. Right. Right. And Paul's going to rebuke them like crazy in first Corinthians. I think in first Corinthians six, where he's going after people who are um, committing fornication with prostitutes. And he's like, no, you were united to Christ. You were, you were united to him. You're a member of his body. Are you going to unite the, a, a person who's united to Christ and the body of Christ to a prostitute? Are you going to do that? It meganoito in the Greek, by no means. Of course you're not going to do that. And so maybe an, an end note, because we should wrap up, is one of the, I think, a really important Catholic point is what N.T. Wright says, who's not a Catholic, because he says, does Jesus's obedience make ours irrelevant? And the obvious answer is no. Right. Like, like you still have freedom as a Christian. And so once you have been like, you can't earn your salvation. Jesus's faith, his faithfulness, his act of faithfulness to the father and to us enables me to be faithful. And that matters. And, and you have freedom and brothers and sisters, you have a freedom to say no to that. You have a freedom to say to heck with you, God. Yeah. I'm going to do whatever the heck I want to do. And I'm going to live for pleasure and power and money. The big three idols. And if you do that, you can cut yourself off from Christ. And if we had more time, we could talk about, how, you know, Romans and Galatians are the big letters. People say, if I have faith, I'm saved. Well, Romans nine through 11, Paul goes through an extended treatment that basically like, if you don't, if you don't continue in that life of faith, God will cut you off. Oof. That might have to be a part two. That might be a mic drop right there. Yeah. <laughs> We can't drop these mics though. Cause they're attached to the desk. They're literally, <laughs> they're literally attached. Okay. Everybody send wow. us an email. Happy good Friday. If you're listening on good Friday or if it's Holy Saturday or Easter Sunday, God bless you. May the faithfulness of the redeemer inspire faithfulness in you. Um, send us an email rant at lordsdenver.org. Send us your questions. Gosh, I love that phrase. That was, yeah, that was Just, nice. What was that? Beautiful? That's, that should be that's what Paul is saying. May the faithfulness of the redeemer right? Inspire or create faithfulness inside of us. And wow. That's what the new Testament is about. That's what the faith of Jesus Christ is. And man, I hope that's in me.
Okay. That was, that was, <laughs> that was all done. Nah, literally, how do I drop this bike? <laughs> yep. See you later. <laughs>